I'm guessing by now you've heard. The FOMC is going to meet tomorrow and Wednesday, and they're going to decide our entire fate, well, at least our economic fate. They have within their hands, we're always told, which is, I'm guessing, why you've probably heard about this, whether or not they can guide the U.S. economy, maybe the global economy too, into this soft landing to shepherd the system from its red-hot overheating 2021 and 2022 into a more stable equilibrium where inflationary pressures no longer bother us and we can get on with our business of booming and prosperity. Or maybe the Federal Reserve's policymakers will commit one of two errors. Maybe they'll take their foot off the rate hike pedal too quickly and allow inflationary pressures to reignite to plague our economy again in very much the same ways it had before. Then again, maybe the policymakers will go too far if they haven't already, plunging the economy into something like recession. So many things to consider, not just as policymakers, but also from the outside looking at what they're doing, but more importantly, what the economy, what shape the economy is really in. Because when you look at the marketplace, the marketplace is priced as if this stuff at the Fed doesn't actually matter. Now, it matters in the short run. The Federal Reserve obviously has influence in the short run, mostly on the short end of the yield curve in money rates and alternatives. But the larger economic fundamentals, the market could not be in more disagreement with the Federal Reserve's interpretation, no matter what it decides to do. Think back one month, back into December, the last time the Fed met, the last time the Fed hiked rates. It did so what sounded like it was a dovish transition toward a Fed pause and eventually stopping a terminal rate, terminal rate point to begin with. No, 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 said the Fed. No, especially Jay Powell. The press conference, which immediately followed his, which immediately followed the release, release of the statement, Powell said, no, we've got a long way still to go. We need to be hawkish. And the markets completely ignored all of his statements, all of the subsequent speeches, and other material that has come out. Markets are disagreeing on the fundamentals. But what are those fundamentals? What is it that the Fed is afraid of that forces them to continue considering hiking rates because their inflation risk, as they say, the economy is unbalanced toward inflation. Whereas the markets have been increasingly certain to the point that they're as near certain as they possibly can be, that it has nothing to do with rate hikes. There's something else going on entirely and that the risk to the economy and to you and me isn't more consumer prices. It's something else. It's recession. It's contraction. Maybe even a bad one. So today we're going to examine those fundamentals. Now I started, with our, started doing this in my last video on Friday talking about incomes and labor markets. Let's look at all of these things from the perspective of economists and the FOMC. What are they seeing and what are they doing based on what they see that markets don't agree with? We're going to start with something from Milton Friedman, which I think is, is a relatively good model, conceptual model, to guide our discussion and our thoughts here. Because in one sense, what we're told is absolutely right. This period in time will be absolutely crucial to determining what the rest of this year and beyond looks like. It's not just about consumer prices in 21 and 22. It's about what those actually mean for 23 and beyond. So Mr. Friedman, we're gonna, he's going to give us a little, bit of a, a, a little bit of a guide here to interpret our analysis. And as a bonus, 
will be able to understand what it is the Federal Reserve is doing if you feel that's kind of important too. But first, I'm Jeff. This is Eurodollar University. Thank you very much for joining me. As always, if you're interested, more detailed, exclusive video content about money, about markets, about how to interpret these things, the consequences, the implications, the history, all of that stuff, Eurodollar University memberships are available, as well as research subscriptions where we hit all of those same things, but in more of a current and future context uh, sort of focus and emphasis. There's a daily de daily briefing that I do at Markets Insider Pro, as well as the deep dive analysis where we dive deep into these, the history, the implication, the markets, the curves, all that stuff. Check us out, eurodollar.university for more information. So way back in 1964, at the... Uh, the annual report put out by the NBER, and the NBER, the National Bureau of Economic Research, those are the folks who over the last several decades have decided that they're gonna decide what is and what is not a recession or a recovery. So writing for the NBER back in 1964, Milton Friedman put forward this hypothesis of what he called a plucking model, a plucking model for the economy, because up until that point, after the Great Recession, the the U.S. in the 1940s and then into the 50s and early 60s experienced these periodic recessions that were not like the previous depressions uh, from the 1930s and before. So what he said was in 64, consider an elastic string stretched taut between two points on the underside of a rigid horizontal board and glued lightly to the board. Let the string be plucked at a number of points chosen more or less at random and with a force that varies at random and then held down at the lowest point reached. In this analogy, output is viewed as bumping along the ceiling of maximum feasible output, except that every now and then it is plucked down by a cyclical contraction. That to him seemed what this, this, these recession business cycles seemed to be all about. The economy would be moving upward along its potential and then it would deviate into a contraction, but unlike depression, would come right back to its potential and then move along as if nothing ever happened. We would experience a temporary downturn and nothing more. Now it's important to point out that the Federal Reserve's framework in most, maybe most mainstream economics and econometrics, they don't necessarily use the, the Friedman's plucking model, more like natural and neutral interest rate theory, but it's, it's similar in the basic constructions and assumptions. That the economy has a potential that is not set by some policy lever, that is set by the factors in the real economy, including things like demographics, supply side investment, all those types of things. And that contractions aren't anything other than a temporary set of circumstances that pushes output below potential, creating what is called the output gap. And a positive output gap simply means that economic output is operating below potential that is not disrupted by the contraction. Because why would it be? A temporary recession is nothing more than a temporary recession. It's a deviation caused by maybe some something happens, a shock of some sort. Some exogenous factor acts upon the economy, doesn't disturb potential, but pushes output off. And left alone, or mostly left alone, the economy, once it clears through those set of individual circumstances, will get right back to its potential. And again, as I said before, recessions become nothing more than a, a, a bad memory to, to think about in the future because we're right back on potential moving higher. Policymakers of various 
stripes view this general idea of contraction in different ways. One of the ways that especially mainstream neo-Keynesians view contractions is, well, we shouldn't just sit there and do nothing. Why, why, why don't we attempt to fill in those troughs? Because if the economy is going to go back to recovery and potential anyway, why not have the government come in and do a bunch of stuff to cushion the blow, uh, to limit the downside risk, limit the downside reality, so that when recovery does come, there isn't as much there isn't as much unemployment, there isn't as much disruption in the economy. That once recovery shows up, it's much it's a much better situation. So economists and policymakers have decided along along the way that whenever confronted with recession, they're going to attempt to fill in that trough. And then once they've done so, the economy will move back up to its potential anyway. The danger here, at least in, the, in these mainstream assumptions, is that either the economy or the economy in combination with stimulus will end up doing too much. Because what happens? What happens if they push the economy above its long run potential. Now the economy on its own shouldn't be able to do that, right? Because it's long run potential means you're maximizing the amount of resources and inputs that go into the system to create the maximum level of output. That's really what potential means. But if the government comes in and pushes things too hot, then maybe output could rise above potential. And in that situation, it at least sounds like there should be some inflation because if the economy is running above its maximum level of inputs, that means there's probably going to be competition for a scarce, scarce workers, scarce material, scarce production capacity, scarce services capacity. It's this competition, the spiral of competition for economic inputs because the economy at that situation can't supply what is demanded. And if you recognize that sounds a lot, this sounds very familiar, at least in general terms, to what we've what we've been talking about, what we've experienced over the last couple of years. Now, there's a couple of different places where we could get our potential from potential economic econometric estimates. Um, Federal Reserve has their own. Uh, I use those from the CBOE because they're publicly available. The CBOE, CBOE uses the same assumptions as basically the same calculations as any other econometric models do. So it's a relatively useful guide of what mainstream economics is thinking here. And what you see in the in, in the immediate recover or the immediate aftermath of the so-called Great Recession, the economy failed to recover as expected. In 2007, the CBOC, CBOC is CBO said, we don't expect anything to happen because, you know, it's, it's, it doesn't matter that there's a housing bubble. We expect that potential is going to continue to rise in a straight line because that's potential. Again, Friedman's plucking model. Potential continues to go on uninterrupted regardless of temporary deviations. Even if they could have, they could have told or foretold that there was a massive recession coming up, they still wouldn't have, they still wouldn't have altered their calculations for potential because potential doesn't change for recession. That was Friedman's observation. But by 2011, it was already clear something was different about this one. This business cycle wasn't turning out the same way. In fact, the economy failed to really recover. It had stopped contracting, but that's not the same thing. Recovery means going back up to potential. And by we get to early 2011, these econometric models and the economists who put them together started to think, 
maybe there's something wrong here. And they began to mark down economic potential because the economy just didn't seem to want to go up. The Federal Reserve had been doing a lot of stuff. The government had been doing, you know, the ARA stimulus bill, all that stuff, shovel ready, remember that stuff? Didn't seem to work. So economists thought, there's really, we only have two choices here. Either the economy's broken or this is it. This is really, this stuff doesn't work. <laughs> the, we've, we've thrown everything that we have at, at the system and it hasn't produced recovery. Maybe it's because there is no recovery that can happen. And so potential might have been harmed. And of course, that set, of, set out uh, policymakers and economists to try to figure out why potential might be falling. So they, they've worked backwards here. They've seen the lack of economic recovery and said, well, what could cause potential to dip that could explain why the recovery didn't happen? The most obvious answer is that all of their assumptions, including that QE and stimulus actually works, those were just wrong. But no, they said, no, Americans are too lazy. They're too drug addicted. Demographics, there's too many baby boomers retiring. They come up with all sorts of excuses to justify reducing economic potential. Fast forward a couple more years, you get to 2013, 2014, guess what happens? Still, the economy does not recover and still they have to reduce economic potential calculations. We get into 2016. We get into the period where they've reduced economic potential so much that it's finally starting to line up with output. At least the, the latest estimates of potential versus output. And in this situation, the, the Federal Reserve and economists say, oh, here we are. We're now in danger of the output gap having been filled up. Maybe output goes above potential and we become inflationary. And you remember, this is in early 2016. This is the point at which the Federal Reserve started to raise rates. Now, they didn't raise rates steadily because, once again, the economy failed to, to accelerate didn't move above even those much written down or much reduced economic potential numbers, but they were, they were beginning to get concerned because potential, at least the written down version versus output were, had become closer and closer together. So if they're assuming their economic potential numbers are anywhere close to accurate, then we need to raise rates to slow the economy before it, gets, before it goes above potential and ignites inflation, according to their theories. And look what happened. We, we move forward into 2017 and 2018, globally synchronized growth. The economy did accelerate a little bit and it actually did go above those level, those estimated, those levels of potential estimated back at that time. So why did Jay Powell's Federal Reserve become so ultra hawkish, at least for the period, in, starting in 2018? Because according to the, the estimates for economic potential, as well as the estimates for actual output, Output had gone above potential. So according to the Federal Reserve's understanding, that was inflationary. And they get, the, you know, again, I said, as I said before, they get these potential numbers from various factors, including the unemployment rate, which seemed to be consistent with what, these, what the, the numbers here are showing, that it, there was a negative output gap at that point. Economic output had gone above long-run potential. Therefore, that was going to be inflationary. And so Jay Powell had to raise interest rates in order to get the economy back under control. But you also notice here something else. When we get to 2019, by 2019, it was clear these numbers were wrong. 
because we never did get that outburst of inflation. Jay Powell went into a hawkish panic over it. The CBOE numbers, as well as the Federal Reserve numbers, said this should have been inflationary, but it wasn't. And so by the time the Fed got to 2019, first the pause and then the rate cuts, it was clear that the level of output estimated up to 2017 and 2018 was probably too low because output moved above those levels and it didn't become inflationary. Therefore, they raised potential in 2019. The CBOE said, well, potential must be higher than we thought it was because it didn't become inflationary. But what are the implications of that? The implications of that are huge, absolutely huge. Because number one, it meant that, oh, there probably was more economic slack throughout the post-crisis era than anyone was willing to admit. As Janet Yellen said in 2014, maybe there is hidden levels of unemployment that aren't captured by the unemployment rate, the participation problem. So here we have actual output along with the theoretical limits of potential showing that their calculations for potential were wrong as were all the explanations. Now I'm making a pretty blanket statement here, and it's not just about this data, but history showed that output could not have gone above their potential numbers because we didn't get the consumer prices that they expected. And what that means was, again, more macroeconomic slack than is captured in mainstream understanding as well as these models. So now we fast forward to 2020, 21, and 22. And what you see is the econometric models have basically maintained the same level of output or potential as they had in 2019, because so far they haven't had any reason to change it, except for maybe that whole thing with consumer prices. But what you'll notice that in 2022, heading into 2023, now we have that little tick up in output, which is GDP recovering over the second half or accelerating slightly, which I also noted is for individual and one-off factors, but policymakers considering the state of the economy, what they're looking at is output that looks like, as it has since 2019, at a level that's pretty close to where we are today in terms of GDP and output. So from policymakers' perspective, maybe they need to be more hawkish, more aggressive, more rate hikes, because according to these numbers, it looks like the output gap is very small. In just a little bit of an acceleration, next thing you know, output is above the output gap and we're back into an inflationary mess again. At least that's what they're thinking. What the markets are thinking is what markets have been thinking ever since 2009. That as the CBOE and other econometric models reduce their, their, their estimates for potential, it's because they're trying to search for an answer for an economy that isn't operating anywhere close to its full capacity. Failure of the output to recover, it really is a macroeconomic problem, not a structural problem related to potential. Milton Friedman was right. Potential never really changed after 2008. What did was the cause of the recession, as well as what's dragging the recovery far below and keeping it far below potential. And in 2020 and 2021, in 2022, that, that output gap, that hidden output gap, that hidden amount of slack was basically, was further obscured by the effect of consumer prices on supply shock. So the Fed says, maybe we're in danger of going above our potential, 
And the market says you have no idea what potential actually is. And history shows the markets are right about that as well as why that is the case. I'm Jeff. This is Eurodollar University. Thank you very much for joining me. As always, huge thank you to Eurodollar University members as well as all of our research product subscribers. And until next time, take care.